On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Menzel. Joining me, as ever, is Paul Dennett. Paul, welcome back. Hey, man, how's it going? Pretty happy. I think it was a reasonably good week for cricket. The pitch was the best thing, I think, out of the Perth Stadium game. Everyone wants the wacker to be replicated, and it seems as though it was. I think that's a great achievement. Great to see the Aussies winning, and... The Wacker is being salvaged, as was originally promised. They're going to make it a boutique 15,000-seat stadium, and I think that'll be great for some of the smaller test matches in the future. So I'm quite happy. Good. Cricket makes you happy. Good to hear. And returning to the show is Jaleesa Apps, sports reporter for Channel 9. Jaleesa, welcome back to the show. Thank we had you. such a great response to you last Oh, that's nice. I'm so happy to be back. I'm on a lot of cold and flu tablets, so well, it's going to okay. be pretty rare. So, so is Paul. But <laughs> like, l- listeners, the reason Jaleesa is such a huge part of the show now is because she's an absolute cricket tragic. So, you know, most, you know, young people are out having a good time, but Jaleesa last <laughs> Thursday tweeted... At Thursday night, watching watching Marnus Lobachain bat brings uh, my heart joy. How did you pronounce that, mate? Can we get to that in a minute? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just you're an absolute it's cricket wild, tragic, aren't it's you? It's a wild Thursday for me. You're you're a real cricket tragic, though, yes, are you? I am, I am. And I also didn't put the R in Marnus's first name in that tweet, which well, I saw later, and I went, oh, that's. <laughs> well, I put the uh, I, I put the O in his name, so <laughs> so welcome back to the show. Thank Thanks you. for Thanks coming for on. Me. Um, been killing it on Channel Nine since our um, last podcast. Thank you. Now, in this show, we are going to wrap up the first test. We're going to talk about the swathe of squad axings from the Australian One Day team. We have a big bash preview, and then we're going to bring it all home with "Can't Let It Go." But before we sort of get into all the the big issues, I just want to talk about a a thing that's been sort of bubbling around on our TikTok account. And now um, some people have been tweeting direct messages to me that I cannot (coughs) pronounce Marnus Lobachain's name properly. So, Paul, do you want to just tell me where I'm going wrong? Well, it's funny because there was that that debate whether it was Labashakni or Labashain. And you've added a third pronunciation (laughs) <laughs> is unique to you with Lobachain. And yeah, every TikTok we release, the first comment is always made, it's not Lobachain. Did way. you hear someone say it like that? No, I just... <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> this is so cruel. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 okay, let me pronounce it properly. Labuchain. No. <laughs> that sounds like you're doing it. Someone said... Labuchain. <laughs> yes. The first one sounds like someone said, right, do it as Paul Hogan, please. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's my problem. Labu Shane. Do it like you're in an American movie, but you want to sound Australian. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Labu Shane. <laughs> Labu Shane. It's really bad. And now I'm in this like thing where I can't it's get the right... It's going to you out. Can't get the right pronunciation now. Yeah. Should we hear, hear from the man himself? All right. Labu Shane like champagne. So like champagne, Labu Shane. 
That's the perfect pronunciation. If we stick with that, we'll be good. All right, now confuse everyone. What's the South African <laughs> pronunciation? Uh, the South African pronunciation is Labaskagni. There you go, man. Labaskagni. Labaskagni. Okay, so it's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get straight into the the first test wrap against New Zealand. Australia beat the Kiwis by 296 runs. Jaleesa, Mm. on the last appearance Mm. here, you you wanted to see more from Australia's top order. And talk about answering your criticisms. David Warner then scored Mm. a triple century. Marnus has scored two tonnes since then. Burns has scored another 50. Have you seen enough from Australia's top order now? Well, I was particularly critical of Warner. And I thought, I honestly did think in Adelaide that he wasn't going to go as well as he did. Karma got me because he, first of all, went brilliantly, which is great for the whole of Australia. But also, I had to then wait for him at the airport and interview him when he came back. (laughs) And I absolutely stacked it at the airport. What? Absolutely stacked it. Like, and... I know when you're thinking about this, you're probably thinking, like, he's running through the airport and I'm bouncing. No, 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 no. He was more than happy to talk. I pulled up at the airport and his plane was coming in a little quicker than I thought and I raced through the uh, the parking and I absolutely stacked it, cut my leg open. I could see. Yeah, it's got stitches. And hit my head and then had to interview him with blood absolutely pouring out of my leg, which was the most embarrassing thing in the world. And I just thought to myself at that point, this is karma. (laughs) (laughs) This is karma because I was so critical of him and it's got me back. So I think that he was brilliant. I think Labajane has been fantastic. The top order, I think, has proven themselves. Okay, great. So I stand corrected. Oh, Jaleesa's is eating the humble pie there <laughs> and almost died by the sounds of it. I think the jury's still out on Burns and Head. Like they, haven't, they haven't done badly. Um, and Burns, 163 at 41, that's good. Um, Head hasn't really had much opportunities, but 85 at 28. You'd say that they're not locked in yet, but they're... I know. think they've done their job yeah. at the moment, yeah. Yeah, I like Burns' consistency. We were in, you know, three tests in the summer mm-hmm. and he did well in the first test with Warner. He did well in the third test in difficult conditions in that second inning. So I think Burns has done pretty well. What about the start time for the day-night test in Perth? I loved it. Starting, you know, 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, I thought it was a really good time for the, the test to start. So I'm a big fan, Paul. Yeah, I think that the time zone worked beautifully. Finishing at 11.30 at night was, was great by me. Uh, the only thing, and I, it doesn't really apply to Perth so much because if you, it's hard to start at much later than that in Perth, but the test really did come alive once, mm. once it was at night time, and there's so little of it played at night time. It was really only the last 45 minutes that it was genuinely dark. So for, for tests in Adelaide or on the East Coast, I'd love it if they did start a bit later so we had more genuine time under darkness. Warney made that point on Monday exactly. He said that he would like to see two sessions in darkness um yeah that'd be good yeah because then it's a bit more because it does feel a little bit like you know you win the toss you bat first it's a massive advantage and then there's a holding pattern as well when we saw um cummins and Payne bat one day where they were just batting time to try to ensure that new zealand had to bat under under lights Mm. the game sort of lagged on a little bit there I thought the injury to the fast bowlers in the test actually affected Australia more. So the Kiwis lost Ferguson after 10 overs. Hazelwood 
went out in his second over. I actually think Australia was at more of a disadvantage because they had four bowlers, whereas the Kiwis had the all-rounders. So I think Australia to battle through and win so convincingly without Hazelwood was a massive achievement. I kind of thought the opposite. I just thought because of the depth of our bowling, we were able to overcome that better than the Kiwis, particularly missing Trent Bolt. Well, the class, yeah. We had, I mean, Stark was unbelievable. Yeah. I think it also exposed the spinning problem. I mean, Lyon was fantastic, whereas Santner, 41 overs, none for 146. Mm. Um, they just couldn't rely on him. And he's just not a test off-spinner um, or a test left unorthodox. He's, his test average is 43. I don't know why they're picking him, to be quite frank. He's, got a, he's a reasonable batsman, but surely they've got a better um, option. My little rant, Colin Munro, <laughs> um, who retired from test cricket unloved about a year ago in New Zealand, finished with a first-class batting average, the highest in the history of New Zealand, 51.6 strike rate of 99 and a bowling average of 27. He only played one test match because they didn't pick him because they thought he was a slogger. They should just ring him up and say, look, we're sorry, mate. You're better than Santner. You're better than Jeet Raval. His last four matches in the, um, over in New Zealand, he's got two centuries. He can surely be brought back in and said, give him a go. He's, you know, it's, it's incredible. I pick him for the Australian side. Very passionate about Colin Monroe. Always have been. Always have been. <laughs> <laughs> Our magic minus. Where where do we start and stop with this young lad? Three consecutive centuries. He he answered my criticisms going into this summer that he never scored a test ton (laughs) and has just rocketed to a thousand test runs in almost record time. It's really come out of nowhere. And it's funny because his selection was universally criticised when he was first picked for the Australian side, but they did get this one right. Someone saw something in him. He's just, yeah, he's fantastic and um, also a great person. So he's a great ambassador for the game as well, like a lovely person to deal with. And um, it's so good to see him do so well and to have someone in there who is genuinely doing great and you can really get behind. I think he's really proven himself. And he's a character, isn't he? As you say, when he gets in front of a microphone, he just sort of rambles about whatever's going on in his head. He's got no filter. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, every time I want to criticise selectors, I've got to acknowledge that they got that one massively right mm. on, you know, I would never have picked him. So they did that really well. Interestingly, after his next innings, he will enter the official Crick Info charts because you've got to play 20 innings oh. to, to be included in the averages, which it should be more because That's interesting. Adam Voges is in there and I don't think he should be. It should be more like 40, but it is 20. <laughs> if he happens to score 117 or more in his next innings, then Australia will have the top four of all time. We'll have Bradman... Smith, Voges and Labashain will enter into fourth place if he happens to get 117 in his next text, test innings, which I think would be quite cool. Well, Jaleesa, do you think the pitch at Perth bordered on the dangerous side? We saw balls hitting the cracks and sort of spitting off them towards the batsman's body. You know, we saw a, a shield game in Melbourne mm. cancelled because of a similar type performance. Do you think the pitch was okay? I thought it looked different to the one in Melbourne. The Melbourne one, I thought, was absolutely the right call. It was so dangerous. They were going all over the place and both captains had no problem doing that. I didn't think that the pitch in Perth was as, was as dangerous. I thought it was, was just lively. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is a fine balance because there was one ball that uh, flew from nowhere and cracked... Um, who was it that cracked in the face? Watling might have got hit in the, in the, in the shoulder by one that, was, that sort of flew from nowhere. But that was the only really dangerous one. So I think they got the balance pretty close to right. The ones in Melbourne, like that was happening all... Mm. Every ball was dangerous. It wasn't just every now and then. And that was day one as well. Yeah. This was, you know, 
day four, I think this was happening. Yeah. After four days of 47-degree heat in the in the actual stadium. Yeah. It was a great pitch, though, because it had a little bit of bounce for the fast <clears> bowlers. It had a little bit of turn. It, it had the cracks forming that made it a little bit uh, dangerous to bat and, you know, put that doubt, a bit of uncertainty in the batsmen's minds. I thought it was a, a really good cricket wicket and produced a good game. Yeah, I agree, and I don't understand why Melbourne and and Sydney find it so difficult. I know Sydney's not a drop-in, but why not pick that pitch up, put it on a truck and take it to Melbourne? Yeah, I agree. Now, we saw a bit of a bouncer war out there. We saw uh, Neil Wagner, who does a lot of short bowling generally, but he really got stuck into the Aussies. Matt Wade was just bravely taking them like a good general does. But uh, do you think we'll see... A continuation of it in Melbourne, and was it smart of the Kiwis to do this when we've got a stack of bowlers that are, you know, bowling quicker than 140 kilometres an hour? It was certainly entertaining, and I thought that Wagner, as always, is wholehearted. He reminds me of Merv Hughes back in the day. Uh, his record is really, really good, and the battle that he had with Wade was captivating. And the, my favourite bit was when he bowled a bouncer to Wade. Wade ducks underneath it and says. Keep on coming, big boy. Uh, <laughs> that's my type of sledging. A bit, bit humorous and a bit, a bit, uh, a bit interesting. Oh, I think that um, they had to try something. The Kiwis and look, the Aussies are going to go at them no matter what. Yeah, I thought the same. I thought that the Kiwis had to try something, and I thought it was very entertaining. But the last people you want to take on in a bouncing wall is the Australian fast bowling cartel. That's right, with Jimmy Pattinson to come in yeah. for yeah. potentially the Boxing Day test. I really enjoyed the contest to see that kind of. And almost a throwback to the the West Indies when they would Mm. bowl bouncer after bouncer. So I enjoyed seeing that. I wonder whether the tactic is going to unsettle Steve Smith. We saw him get out twice in the test match to the short ball. And, I mean, he's never really been tested in this way that, you know, they try and slow his scoring down, bowl short and frustrate him. And it's almost working. He, He got really stuck in the first innings against the Kiwis, scored 40 off about 160 balls, wasn't unable to, you know, dominate the opposition, wasn't able to score consistently. And I just wonder whether this bouncer tactic against Smith is going to continue. Yeah, it's not as though they've got Steve Smith scared or anything else. It's just like they've, they're restricting his scoring options and then he's suddenly faced with an opportunity to score and he's hooked one and he's been caught. So I think they'll continue and they might as well continue. But I don't think he's got a weakness. I think he'll overcome it. All right, last thought on the test. We talked about the injuries to Ferguson and Hazelwood. Quick answer. Jaleesa, should they allow substitutes for injuries in test cricket? Oh, this isn't a quick answer. <laughs> no. I agree. Paul? Yes. Why? <laughs> Because this is, can't be a quick answer. This is so complicated. A big topic. Yeah. Okay. The the big pro is that it would remove where it currently sits, where you have one key player go down, and the whole test match is is kind of ruined. The first test of the Ashes, Jimmy Anderson got injured. It kind of ended the contest to a degree. Here, uh, had. Uh, Hazelwood not got injured and evened it up. It would have ended the contest to a degree. It robs the people of a, of a, of a contest and it can be easily uh, legislated for. They're doing it for the concussion subs already. They just need an independent doctor and for someone to say, okay, we have to put rules and parameters around it and if someone abuses it, we're going to clamp down on it. But, but, but they don't have an independent doctor now in any test match, so that would be a big cost. And what would they do if, you know... A fast bowler comes out and says, oh, my hamstring's mm. a bit tight, I can't bowl anymore, and they want to sub him in. And you're like, uh, you can't check that. You can't check if a hamstring's tight. or uh, So I think 
No, the they just look is, to the well-written rules that they were put it's in. It's the bad apple that ruins it for everybody. If someone were to try and stretch the rules and say someone started off a test match bowling really badly and the captain sidled up to him in the sheds and said, look, mate, just pretend you've done a hammy and we'll bring in X. And the independent doctor, who will cost very little, will then immediately send them for scans and say, your scans are fine, you keep on going. But they can't... They're not, their delays and yeah, it's not no, possible. Even... And also, test, it tests your depth. If you are relying on one player and one player goes... Out. I think it sort of tests your depth. Yeah, yeah. It's, you, test cricket is a test of all your skills. Yeah. I mean, they can't even get no balls right in test cricket. Yeah. They can't even police someone stepping over a line. Mm. So how would they police uh, a grey area with injuries? Yeah, and the injuries are such a grey area. They've got the greyest area in world sport, the LBW law, and they do that all right. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> this is going to be a very circular argument. <laughs> Quick answers. <laughs> yeah. All right. So to wrap up the first test, Paul and I have our Cricket Unfiltered Test Player of the Year award points. I've gone for Manus Labuschagne, three points. Mitchell Stark, two. Who? <laughs> the, the new number three. Didn't see him play. Mitchell Stark, Two points for his 13th five-wicket haul. Patrick Cummins, one point for the way he was able to carry the attack after Hazelwood <laughs> went down. Paul went for – you want to read your own out? Sure. Uh, Manus Labashe. I just didn't want to say his name again. <laughs> Three points. Uh, Mitchell Stark, two points. And Nathan Lyon, one point. And that – you've got the tally? I've got the tally. Oh, got the tally. Yes. Okay. So streaking ahead, Manus Labuschagne, 14 <laughs> points. David Warner and Mitchell Stark are tied for second on nine points. Nathan Lyon is fourth on three points. And Pat Cummins has one point. So just um, five points get us so far in the opening three tests. And, and if you'd been serious, there'd only be four. There's no way Cummins deserved a point. What are you talking about? He bowled so well. You can't, you can't just read the figures and give points out for the way the bowling figures turn out. All right. Big news with the Australian squads. Mm-hmm. So Peter Siddle <clears throat> has been called into the squad for the second test against New Zealand, but Justin Langer has intimated that it's a very long shot that Peter Siddle would play in the Boxing Day test because uh, James Pattinson and Michael Nisa were selected ahead of him. I did uh, watch the press conference with Langer and uh, he gave a very sort of terse response to when the journalist asked him um, whether he had any response to Shane Warne saying that picking Peter Siddle was a backward step. And Jeff Lawson also said on the radio, and that was put to Langer, that um, Langer seems to have his favourites. And, uh, yeah, Langer sort of um, – he, he had to bite his lip when responding. I don't think there's any doubt that Langer has favourites. And, and what I don't understand is I don't think there's any doubt – that that's the perception. Like, that's no. whether it's true or not, it's a. If that is the perception. Yeah. Uh, like, if Lang is denying that that's the perception, he probably needs to talk to cricket fans more because for sure that is the perception. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. But I think Warren's right. Siddle is a step back. Why didn't oh, they it pick is a step young back. quick? There's, um, oh, you're going to love this, Paul. I've got, <laughs> I've got something for you. But. Um, <laughs> And they could have picked, you know, someone like Riley Meredith, who's mm. a really good young quick. I was watching the Backpage Summer Edition last night, Paul. So it's a cricket um, chat yeah. show on Fox yep. Sports. Kerry O'Keefe nominated as the best fast bowler in Australia to watch at the moment as Liam Hatcher, who made his debut for New South Wales in the Shield game we commentated on. And I have to say, it's a pretty good call because he was really impressive in the one match we've seen him play for New South Wales. Oh, he was superb. He was... And he, 
I, I can't disagree with her, Keith. But you should have seen the panelists like Crash and Gus Warland and when Kerry Keith start, started reading off the Shield second mm. eleven stats on like a major magazine show. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it was a huge step back. I don't like the argument that people make about age. That really always annoys me because I don't I agree, think, as being an older man, I hate yeah, it. Yeah, I just think anyone's age, like if you're the best in Australia, you're the best in Australia. I don't care if you're too young, I don't care if you're too old. But I think Peter Siddle isn't quite the best in Australia. So I don't I just think it was a step back. And if he's not gonna likely to play, why not give a young bloke a, a chance to get around the squad and because I worry that we're gonna get all these fast bowlers. We're gonna have the same problem we had a few years ago with batsmen. We're gonna get all fast bowlers to retire at the same time and you didn't bring anyone through. Yep, good points. I don't disagree with them, but I can kind of live with it. I think that he's... Um, I mean, it's, he's not going to play, so it's not a... It's not going to play, no. no it's not but, a huge thing, but... But I think he's a fine bowler as well. And look, he's, I, I, someone sent me a tweet I sent in 2014, um, sarcastically congratulating Peter Siddle on the end of his career. So his, um, <laughs> his durability is, um, is very impressive. Every time you count him out, he comes back. And I like the fact that Langer got prickly. It's bad for PR, and he should be able to be uh, less prickly. But I think it shows that he's a good coach. You sometimes need the coach to be a little bit Alex Ferguson-like and treat the media poorly and and have weird um, reactions to things. Now, the Australian one-day squad to tour India in early January. They're playing three games very close together in mid-January. And uh, just for the for the listeners out there, George Bailey's not an official selector at the moment, so he's actually uh, not really selecting this squad. But Langer said that they are talking in an, in an inf- informal capacity at the moment. So some big inclusions to the one-day squad. Ashton Turner, Sean Abbott, Manus Labuschagne, Kane Richardson, Josh Hazelwood and Ashton Agar have all been included. And uh, I was just looking at Sean Abbott's white ball bowling figures. They are <laughs> exceptional mm. in that list A, 50-over cricket and in T20 domestic cricket. He's taking his wickets at under 25 in both formats. His runs pour over in the 20-over games quite high, but he does bowl at the death. Um, so, yeah, he's just um, a really good white ball bowler for New South Wales. Uh, any thoughts on the inclusions, Jaleesa? I have many thoughts about this whole thing. Go. Go. Give them to me. What is the point of this? What is the point of these taking these having these ODI games over in India in the middle of the Australian summer, this whole series annoys me to no end. I can tell you it annoys the shit out of Cricket Australia too. It's it's ridiculous. And it's obviously we just have to do what India tells us to do. If I'm a cricketer, I'm thrilled to be left out of this. No, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's a pointless series and that's why... It's pointless. I would Who have, cares? I would have picked Joe Burns, Travis Head, Michael Nisa and Tim Payne and say to them, go over there, play three white ball games. We've got a red ball tour coming up in a year. Get, get some experience in Indian conditions and, and show the disrespect to these matches that we should. And even and then, it's 100%. not even that That's a good idea. The only disadvantage of that idea is India might then cancel Australian cricket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, this would have been a really good chance to uh, give all some young guys or some less experienced guys a, a go to get some experience. I'm glad um, Turner's been recalled. Yes. Abbott's a good inclusion. To see what Manus Labuschagne can do in the 50-over games, impressive. I'm I'm not sure about Kane Richardson at the highest level yet, Um, including Josh Hazelwood just further underlines what a big miss that was in the World Cup, him not playing. But if I'm Josh Hazelwood and I can't play MCG or SCG because of the hammy, I'm stretching that hammy 
Wow. I'm, <laughs> I'm going, oh, it doesn't feel good. Yeah, I think he'll be keen, though, because he wants to get back in the T20 side. So this is the kind of way in. Yeah, he'll – oh, he's and he's a team person. He would, he's would he got a great attitude. Not I won't, so you, weren't, you weren't being serious, I know. But, um, but I would. <laughs> That's what I'd be doing. Because I just think this whole thing's ridiculous. They need a break. And this is why Langer's not going over. Langer's, yeah. Like, this is how seriously yeah, we're Yeah, so my prophecies it. come true. I had Andrew McDonald on the podcast – at the beginning of the season, I said he'd be the next Australian coach, and he is. Justin <laughs> Lang is uh, having a rest on this tour, so I think it's good for uh, Andrew McDonald. The big exclusions from the squad, and there are some notable ones. Sean Marsh, Usman Kawaja, Nathan Lyon, Marcus Stoinis, and Glenn Maxwell all miss out. Huge exclusions. I think Glenn Maxwell is extremely unlucky. I, I just don't know why he's not in the squad. If, if it's to do with the fact he took a break, uh, recently, due to his mental health, then maybe there are more extenuating circumstances. But that's very strange. Usman Kawaja, I'm not sure what he's done wrong, apart from being seen as not being around for the next World Cup. He did well in white ball cricket for Australia leading into the World Cup, did okay in the 50-over World Cup, then has come back and scored two centuries in the Marsh 50-over competition here. So he can be feel very unlucky that he's still not in the 50-over squad. Any thoughts on the exclusions, Paul? Yeah, I, I, mean, I think that's the, the whole issue is the next World Cup is in 2023 and they're saying who's going to be in there. And is Sean Marsh going to be in there? No. No chance. Mm. Um, is, is Nathan Lyon going to be in there? Maybe they're sort of saying he'll be too old as then, which I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, but, yeah, Kawaja, how old is he now? Um, 33. He's, he's still young enough to be there in 2023. I, I agree. That's a bit harsh. I think Glenn Maxwell um, is confusing why he was left out. And I think maybe that needs to be cleared up as to why was there discussions with him. My worry about him being left out after taking a break is I don't want other cricketers to look at that and go, I can't take a break because then I'm going to miss out on selection. It's a good point. So I really wish that they had perhaps clarified if there were any discussions with him around that, why the reasons he was le- left out because – it, do, it doesn't – I'm just worried about the message that it sends. Yeah, I think Langer said as well Maxi hadn't quite scored enough runs. But he has done pretty he well, has. in especially you know, in the, the one day as we played in India leading into the World Cup, he did really well. And if you're looking at someone who's a specialist in Indian conditions for that World Cup in 2023, then Glenn Maxwell must be part of your plans. Oh, I agree. I agree with all that you've just said. And if you're really serious about winning these three games, Glenn Maxwell would be one of the first players you'd pick. Maybe there were discussions around and, and perhaps it was he decided. I don't know. The big winner, though, is the Big Bash because for the Big yeah. Bash to have now Maxwell, Stoinis, Lyon, Kawaja, mm. all available for the whole tournament does give it a, a bit of a boost, which, yeah, it's strange because Maxwell is such a draw card. All right, we're going to take a quick break on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast just to remind you, if you can, please go and find us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at OzCricketPod. That's A-U-S Cricket Pod. You can also find us on TikTok as Cricket Unfiltered. And if you want to send in any emails or questions, you can email us at OzCricketPod at gmail.com. That's A-U-S CricketPod at gmail.com. All right, coming up after the break, our Big Bash Preview. Well, I can't believe it. It dunks. Stoinis. Madison is shocked on the Melbourne start. Up to Bravo now. Tova Pierce. It should be caught. Man stuns underneath it. Oh, Catch is taken. 
Cameron White takes the catch, 7 for 19, and that, well, may be the end of the hopes for the Melbourne Stars. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Andrew Mentzel. I'm here with Jaleesa Apps and Paul Dennett. And the Big Bash started last night, and it is time to preview the tournament. Got off to a good start for the Thunder, beating the Heat in Brisbane. But there have been some changes to the tournament this year. And we're going to bring back a segment that Paul and I started in our Big Smash Cricket podcast called Love It or Loathe It. I'm going to ask Jaleesa and Paul what they think of these changes. So, Jaleesa, mm. they've introduced a top five final system for this Big Bash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one and two teams get a double chance and the four and five teams would have to win four in a row to win the title. Do you like the top five final system? I do, and I know probably in a more serious competition I wouldn't like it, but I think the Big Bash is all about fun and we have to embrace it for what it is. It's getting young people into cricket and making it fun and it's entertainment more than anything. So I do like it because I think it just gives it, – it keeps it interesting for longer. Paul? That's exactly what I was going to say. I agree 100%. Same. Well, that's really easy. I agree too. <laughs> I, lo- I can see why. So uh, Andrew McDonald, the – former Renegades coach was saying on the podcast that he thought the fifth side being rewarded with the final spot is too much. But I actually do like it because I think they've, the way they've weighted it, if you win the competition from fifth and win four knockout games in a row, then you deserve to be the, the title holders. So mm. I don't have a problem with it. Now, yellow hats have been introduced for the leading wicket taker and run scorer. So if those of you who aren't aware, it's sort of started in the IPL that if you're the leading run scorer in the tournament, you wear a special hat. And same if you're a leading wicket taker. Paul, I can tell you would love this. Uh, yeah, I think it's great. Why not? Um, uh, what I would obviously love is the, the same person to have both and to have to wear two yellow hats. <laughs> yeah, what would happen? <laughs> uh, I really like this because I think the Big Bash is one of those things too you kind of check in and out of. Um, depending on what other cricket's going on uh, and because it's on so I regularly. I do not, Julissa, <laughs> check in and out of it. I check in and, and you don't. Check, you check out I at check the out end. in February. He, yeah, right. He checks in in December and checks out in February and finds out he's divorced. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for those people that do check in and out, it is just another point of interest for them. That's true. They've introduced timeouts for this big bash. So there's one per innings. They're a minute and 30 second each. They can be used between over 7 and 13 and um, the batting side uh, decides when they'll take it and it's done on field and the captain and the coaches come on and have a chat with the, the team. I'll preface this by saying it's not the biggest issue in the world, but I loathe this. This is so do I. such a stupid idea. I mean... It's just 90 seconds of nothing. Um, Dead air. And there's no tactics. Don't pretend that it's interesting as, oh, will they take it after the eighth over or the ninth over? Last night, it was a perfect example. When Lehman was interviewed afterwards, after he'd been on the field, you know, what tactics did you discuss? And he just laughed and said, stay in. <laughs> that, you know, they've been suspending players in the past for slow over eights, and now they're adding three mm. unnecessary minutes to the game. I get that you can mm. sell some ad space, but Foxtel didn't even take a break. I just think it's an opportunity for people to say, oh, I wonder what's on in the A-League. Yeah, 100%. Do you really think anyone's going to say, I wonder what's on in the A-League? You do, though, like, <laughs> they do, maybe not the A-League. Maybe the A-League. Maybe the, that was the NBL. Work. Yeah, the NBL. Or the NBA. Just yeah. more... Anything would just, the one thing in broadcast is don't have dead air. And this is dead air. Absolutely. Yeah, I loathe it too. And I, I think it is one of those things that is been, has been brought in to feed these massive TV deals. And I just think it's a, it's a way off the mark. What you need in T20 cricket is a fast-paced game, lots of action. 
And seeing, you know, a coach waddle on is not what I call action. Now, huge problem, huge issue. Still, despite my demands and negotiating, (laughs) Cricket Australia will not schedule a game on Christmas Day. Now, I told the schedulers that my family's gone away this Christmas Mm -hmm. and I'm all alone. Is it eight eight games you wanted, wasn't it, from midnight till midnight? Well, I just wanted a marathon, you know, four games, each team playing, to start (laughs) eight, nine in the morning. So when the kids are opening their presents, they can have the big bash on in the background. (laughs) And then it just sort of, you finish with a Perth game at the the Wacker, you know, it's sort of eight till midnight. It's a waste of games. Okay, so seriously though, I would like one game on Christmas night. So, twenty fifth of December, say four pm, game starts. I Fan? Just, I think it's a waste. I think you. Why is it a waste? You would have the whole country. I don't think you would. People are like you've you're in a coma by then of like drink and food and yeah, that's that's why and, you turn and, on the cricket. And also in terms of an audience, you want people at the game. You're not going to get... So we're calling the crowd an audience now? <laughs> what is this, the theatre? <laughs> In terms of the theatre? <laughs> what is this, the theatre? <laughs> oh, we won't get an audience for the cricket. <laughs> I want an audience. Um, I, I think it's a way. I think it would be a waste. I think they've made the right call. I think the ratings would be astronomical. I don't. I think you'd have 50% of the country watching. In theory, I agree with you 100%. Like, I like the idea of cricket on Christmas Day, but when I think about it in practice... I agree with Jaleesa. By four o'clock, I'm also in a coma. Mm. Um, and I just feel bad because I like watching every game uh, or trying to watch every game. And I would feel like, oh, yeah. I've got to turn the TV on. I, I understand you, Menas. Yeah, I know you do. I'm also You're against, the one person that does. I'm against <laughs> it from a perspective of the players too. I think every... Oh, okay, the players who get paid millions of dollars. <laughs> I work every Christmas. It is not fun. Like, I've actually got Christmas off this year, but... I just think just we can have one day where broadcasters and players don't have to, to play. Yep. Don't like it. Do not like <laughs> well, it at all. Well, I can set up a live stream of our backyard but, but, but cricket let, game being, for you. I would love that. But less <laughs> selfishly, I just think for the good of the game, if, if cricket doesn't lay down a marker and take that Christmas day, someone will soon. Game, well, I think it is. Well, the, one, the one point on that is that, uh, we've made this before. The NBA on Christmas Day has, what, five games? Yeah, um, and they're huge. And you think, you know, if, if America's going to do it, then... To make it even worse, last summer they had two games on Christmas Eve and they've um, canned the two games on Christmas Eve. They're just playing one now, which is in Hobart. So apparently the Hobart fixture worked really well on Christmas Eve. And I think the other one was at the Thunderground Giant Stadium, whatever shit they call it now, and um, that 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 had no crowd. So shout out to the Giants. Who? <laughs> well, actually, the Swans are going to be playing there. In my master plan's right. So there'll be a hotel at the SCG, and the Swans and Giants will be playing out west. And they'll be playing four games on Christmas Day. All right, love it or loathe that continues. Um, Cricket Australia have said no to all betting sponsors for the Women's Big Bash League and the Big Bash League. This was publicised after. There was some discussion around the prominence of betting sponsors in test cricket. I love the fact that CA have made this decision for the WBBL and BBL. Yep, I'm on board with it. Me too. Well, that was easy. We're all agreeing with that one. And finally, and uh, I think this will be pretty unanimous as well, we saw to start off the big bash, Uthman Kawaja was wrapped on the pads, plumb in front. The ball was going to hit the middle of middle stump and the umpire gave it not out. 
But as we know, in the Big Bash, there is no DRS system, so there's no reviews allowed. And I think it's a huge concern that they don't have DRS in the Big Bash. It's such a you know, well-televised competition. If there is an error, everybody can see it so clearly. And you know, I was watching the Bangladesh Premier League last night, and they have they have DRS, so why can't we? That's what got me in last night. I woke up on the lounge at 2 in the morning, mm-hmm. and, and the Bangladesh Premier League was on. And the first thing I saw, I was going to watch one ball, there was a DRS. I thought, oh, I'll stay and watch this. It was, it was captivating. Um, we spoke to Anthony Everard, who was the head of the Big Bash a couple of years ago, and he made a good point saying that, the Big Bash is all about fun and bringing new fans to the game. They don't care so much about the nuances of it. They're not interested in DRS. They just want the game to go along quickly. And I acknowledge that point, but I think that the new fans enjoy the DRS just as much as the old fans. And that, I mean, my, my daughter, that's her favourite part of cricket, the traffic lights, as she calls it, mm-hmm. when, the, um, when the DRS comes up. I think it's captivating for, for people and it will add to the uh, legitimacy of the competition. I don't like it. Why? Jaleesa, what like about quick, when the- I like things quick. I don't like to be slowed down. I like I I don't like DRS at the best of times. I like umpires to make judgments and sometimes get them wrong, and that's okay. Jaleesa, this is a surprising opinion. Um, but, <laughs> but I'll take DRS in in. Test cricket. I don't want to say games that matter, but like this is. But, a- but what about this? You know, you, you've got. So many people tuning into the Big Bash to mm. watch it on TV and then there's this terrible decision by the umpire that, say, can really d- affect the result of the game. Shouldn't they have this facility? I mean, Paul and I were in a semi-final a couple of years ago where the result almost hinged on uh, the fact that there was no DRS. Yeah. No, because uh, first of all, I get your, I take your point that it's, more, that it's entertaining to watch DRS. But I think it is also very entertaining when decisions are wrong. Well, it's it true. something to talk about. It gives like energy and like that was wrong, and my team should have. You know, I, a wrong decision isn't. I don't, I don't like wrong decisions, but it's not doesn't end a game or a competition. It's a good point. It's it's kind of the point that everyone was making as well. Like, the, you know, let's move things on quick. I wouldn't Just, say. I like, that. Do you think people are entertained by bad decisions? I think people get emotional, and you know, you want to. Um, engender emotional reaction in the viewer. Well, I'll just but like bring, resentment and anger. I don't know. I'll just bring another sport into this for a second. The six again, the Raiders, NRL. Yep. Which was a terrible decision for anyone who doesn't follow NRL. Has just made me so obviously Jaleesa's a Raiders fan. Impassioned about next year that I want to see the Raiders do well. So I do think it kind of adds to the interest. All right. So uh, well, that's our like it or low. That some surprising takes from Jaleesa. You didn't cover the regional. Oh yeah, I missed one. So yeah, regional BBL games. I'm very passionate about this. I loathe this. I think it's <laughs> terrible. I've done. Oh, Jaleesa, Take. the country girl's leaving. Take yeah. me out of the oven. I. I, I I don't mind the old one, but I think it takes away from the competition. The pitches are never as good. The crowds are never as big. The crowds uh, are never as big. No, what? they get oh, a few thousand in because the, whole, the whole town turns they up for do the game. Not. Oh, my God. So why, why is it good for the competition? It is great for the competition because the world exists, just so everyone knows, outside Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. There's a whole world out there and they love cricket. Yeah, but like the when, figures are not like there's a whole world out there, but there's not many people there. No, but they honestly, if you look at 
again, another sport, NRL, that takes games out regionally. They sell out so quickly. They sell out like that, and it generates so much interest in the game. If you're not getting those regions in, then you will lose lose a lot, a lot of support. I also, like, I grew up in the country. I had never been to a test match till I was an adult because they were in Sydney. They were four and a half hours I'm gonna start, away. I'm going to start crying. And <laughs> what a child. Has anyone got to, a violin? How did you have to live like that? I know, it was really hard. <laughs> I had never been – I'd never seen the Australian team play live or I'd never seen Australian players. I promise you I, I will buy the tickets myself. You will sell it out so quickly. I'm, I agree with both of you. My compromise <laughs> position is nice. – No, no, I'm not. I'm just being honest. that um, The pitches are a problem in the, the regional – The pitches are a problem. I will concede that. So, again, get the Perth Stadium pitch onto the truck and send it out there. As long <laughs> as – I think as long as you can have a, a venue that has, say, the capacity of Bell Reeve. Bell Reeve or above, let's say 15,000, I'm happy with it. Under 15,000, I'm not happy with it. But if you can get 15,000 or more with a decent pitch, then definitely you should have a few games in the regional areas. You can get 15,000. I'll, I'll pack them in myself. <laughs> yeah, maybe they should think about having country teams. Because one thing I've heard from people that live outside the big <clears throat> cities is that because the franchises are labelled, you know, the Sydney this, the Melbourne this, the Brisbane this, they feel a bit excluded. So maybe, you know, a New South Wales countryside? Uh, I think, I don't know how in other states, but they definitely need to start with Canberra. Canberra brings in a lot of surrounding regions. Maybe Canberra Big Bash team is the way they've they've, they've talked about expansion. If I had enough money, I'd buy one and buy a franchise. I'd buy a franchise. That's my dream. Oh, that would be be so good. Just be a team owner. Jaleesa just like sitting on the sideline drinking champagne. Yeah. Walking on at the the timeout for a minute and a half in high heels. (laughs) Come on, guys. Get better. Uh, stay out there. Buff <laughs> stay told me that. in. Stay in. That's, That's Buff's my advice. advice. All right, Julie, so you've got your top two sides. Um, so my top two sides are Thunder and Sixers. Sydney, Six, both Sydney teams? Both Sydney teams. Sixers, um, I think, will depend on the if the players like Hazelwood and Smith can actually play those final few games. Which they will, yep. They're scheduled, scheduled in for. Um, I thought the Thunder... I like that Kouage is back. I think him missing out on Australian selection has been a ace for the Big Bash because mm. um, he has been contracted to the Thunder. I think he has the highest ever Big Bash average. Yes, and I think he's been contracted to the Thunder for a few years, but it just hasn't been able but, to play. But my problem with picking the Thunder is, like, them winning one game last night constitutes a good season for them. I mean, that's the sort of level they've set. They just need I to win. I don't think you can look at other seasons true. at all when you look at the Big Bash. Um, okay, so and you... I thought their bowling last night was fantastic. Okay, so Jaleesa's has got on the two Sydney teams. Paul, what are your... Thunder to take it out. There's Thunder a bold to take prediction. it out. Wow. Wild. Wild. I've never been less confident about a prediction, but I'm, I'm <laughs> going to I'm going to go uh, Stars, Renegades, Strikers, Sixers, Heat. And <clears throat> I have no real justification for that because I just think it's such a tight tournament. Um, it's, a, it's a strange tournament when you look at the start and the end where the favourite and the eighth favourite are almost regarded as an equal chance. So uh, I think it's like throwing darts at a board. Yeah. And who are your three players to watch in the, this tournament? Okay, well, I've got history here. In the past, every player I've ever picked to be a player to watch has become obscure within a few months. So <laughs> <laughs> my three players to watch. Nathan Ellis, um, another New South Welshman who's had to go interstate to succeed. Uh, um, took five wickets against his old state in the Marsh Cup this year. Took nine for 30 playing for Lindisfarne versus South Hobart Sandy Bay earlier in grade cricket in Hobart this year. So fast bowler to look, to watch. Blonde hair, right arm, quick, hits the stumps. 
Tanvir Sanger, everyone's been talking about him. Uh, 18-year-old Leggy, uh, going to play for the Thunder. Uh, I should add, Ellis is going to play for the Hurricanes. Tanvir Sanger, me predicting him as, as someone to watch is nothing new. Everyone's predicting him. And for a bit of something else, Phil Salt from the Strikers. Um, Welsh guy, plays for Sussex, um, has just done very well in the Abu Dhabi T10 tournament, getting lots of very quick 20s. So he'll enjoy the more traditional format of the and the more um, opportunity to express yourself of the 20-over game. Well, good picks. Thank you, Mr. Dennett. Thank you. My predicted top five are the Brisbane Heat, the Sydney Sixers, the Adelaide Strikers, the Melbourne Stars and... The last spot was a real toss-up between the Sydney Thunder and the Melbourne Renegades. And I did this before the first game of the season, just so full disclosure. So I went for the Thunder to make the top five. It goes against everything I believe in. But I, I do feel that the Thunder have that kind of squad where they're not quite affected by international selection. So they'll exactly. keep, keep a group together. Brisbane Heat stacked with firepower. Sydney Sixers, like the Thunder, have this sort of real core group of players that won't play for Australia, but are very good, like Stephen O'Keefe, Moses Enriquez, Nathan Lyon's going to come back. And then the Strikers and the Melbourne Stars um, have good squads. And the fact that Maxwell and Stoinis are going to play the whole season for the Stars could be enough for them to win the title. But the Melbourne Renegades won't be able to back up. Hobart Hurricanes won't be able to back up. And the Perth Scorchers will have another down year. So they're my three teams that will miss out on the top five. Now, my players to watch... I've got four. I've gone for Wes Agar, Ashton Agar's little brother. Mm -hmm. He's taken 23 wickets at 21 in the Shield so far. He's a a player on the rise. Then we've got Glenn Maxwell, who's going to be fired up after being dropped from Australia. So look out, Big Bash teams. Moses Enriquez is going to lead the Sixers, I think, exceptionally well. And my young player to watch is Jake Fraser-McGurk who's going to play for the Melbourne Renegades, made a 50 on Shield debut for Victoria, and he seems to have no fear. He's this young, fearless cricketer, and he will go away for the Under-19 World Cup during the Big Bash, but certainly play to watch. All right, that is our Big Bash preview. We're going to take a break, and then we'll be back to finish the show with our cricket social media segment and Can't Let It Go. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast and to the social media segment. Now, one really life-affirming moment that occurred for me just last night was around about midnight, I saw a tweet simultaneously sent from the uh, Wimbledon and from the ICC, and it was celebrating the wonderful day where the men's Wimbledon singles final and the men's Cricket World Cup final were on at the same time. Great day of sport in this global city of London. The eyes of the sporting world are on London today. It will be a tiebreaker to decide the 2019 men's singles champion. They're going to push. Are we in for a super over? They've got to go quick. They've got to go quick. Out. I'm sure he's out. We're going to a super over. Federer misses wrong. Novak Djokovic is a Wimbledon champion. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. And I just think it's wonderful that the two sports are promoting themselves together. I think it will help them both. There'll be cricket fans who see the tennis and hadn't been aware of it. And more importantly, some, um, some tennis fans from around the world who, for the first time ever, might see a little bit of cricket. And what a game to showcase. I just felt, I just felt it, um, really, it made me really happy seeing these two working together. It would have been actually better if they hadn't played them on the same friggin' day <laughs> so you could watch both. Scheduling nightmare. <laughs> it was terrible. Who's, 
thinking that. That, that is true. The, the fact that the tennis was so good ruined cricket's great moment to um, <laughs> re-emerge in England. <laughs> Do you think, like, you know, they put out the World Cup schedule and then someone said, you know the Wimbledon finals on that day and some schedules, oh, damn it. <laughs> oh, oh, well, we can't change it now. We'll just roll with it. Yeah, I agree with that part of it. But <laughs> making the best of a bad outcome, I, I really thought those tweets made my heart warm. That's cute. Here's one that's also got out on social media. This one just amuses me. Um, so, great celebrations that Pakistan has hosted a test match for the first time in a decade. <clears throat> After the second day of their historic game against Sri Lanka, Dananjaya De Silva was 72 not out. Nirashan Dikwela had already been dismissed for 33. And at the press conference, the journalist thought he was talking to De Silva, but he was talking to Dikwela. I'm uh, Dikwela, actually. I'm not De Silva, I'm Dikwela. Yeah. Okay, okay. My question is regarding your batting. You played well at this uh, uh, condition and pitch. Are you thinking a hundred on this pitch? You mean me? Yeah. I'm not De Silva. I am Dickwell. I got out. I'm uh, already out in the pavilion. Maybe second inning? Yeah. <laughs> so I have to defend the journo here because I was at the Sri Lankan press conferences they did when they toured last summer and... They don't have a media manager. They don't have anybody that tells you who they're bringing up. Like every other international team usually has a media manager. They come up and they say, this is so-and-so. Sri Lanka, they just sent someone out. I mean, in Canberra, they sent someone out. I had no idea who it was. And the journo, the Sri Lanka journo, turned around to all of us and said, it's blah, blah. But, you know, it could easily someone have turned around and said, oh, this is um, De Silva, and it was actually Dick Weller. So I have a lot of sympathy for the journalist there. Oh, yeah, I do as well. I just think it's funny. I like the way that he took it. Yeah, yeah. I think that it was nice that he had a laugh and didn't – he could have really made a point of getting all grumpy about it, but it, it was nice. Yeah. Me? Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> and the nice note is that De Silva did end up getting a century, although, amazingly, it took him to the fifth day. He opens on day one uh, – sorry, he batted on day one – and eventually on day five reached 102 not out in a game that was badly ruined by rain and um, water on the pitch and whatever else, or water on the, on the outfield. All right, so that was the cricket social media segment. Go on and find us on social media. We're killing it on TikTok. Cricket Unfiltered is going viral on that uh, medium. So go and find us there, and we're on all the other stuff. Let's wrap it up with Can't Let It Go. Jaleesa, mm. you can bring you. What is your Can't Let It Go? So, for the listeners out there, this is the one bit of cricket news that you cannot let go through to the keeper that you have to, you just can't get it out of your head. This is not cricket news that's been out there. No, is it the Raiders? <laughs> no. I am revealing this on this podcast. Okay, well, I, exclusive. So, I wanted to tweet this and I thought, no, no, I'm going to leave it for the podcast. This is really exciting. So, after my last podcast stint, my first podcast stint, I went for a little wander around Randwick and I was wandering down the street and something in the Vinnies in the window caught my eye. And I went, is that a bat? Let me just show you, which you can't see on podcast, but let me just show you this bat. It is Mark Wars ODI record-making bat. And did you buy it? No, I didn't buy it. It's 173 against the West Indies. Superb. 12... 600 bucks. It was, so it was 1,200 reduced to 600. What is Mark Wars' record-making bat doing? Someone else sent me that photo, actually. Oh, a, really? a listener, yeah. Uh, Robert Fairhead. Hello. In the front of Vinny's. I inquired about it. It's been, it had been there since the start of November. 
This was a couple of weeks ago. St. Vinny's Randwick. St. Vinny's Randwick. And it had been there since the start of November. It was a collector that had bought in a heap of items. One was like a bat by uh, Sri Lanka and South Africa, I think, in the early 90s. That sold within a day. There was some rugby league merchandise that sold. This bat has sat there. And I can't let it go. But oh. I did let it go and now I'm still like, maybe I should go. Man, let's yeah. go down and buy it. Yeah, the, I'm thinking about put it. Put it on the podcast corporate card. What is Mark, <laughs> what is Mark Wall's bat doing? <laughs> I don't know. Obviously, the collector's short of cash for Christmas presents. <laughs> okay, Paul, what's your can't let it go? Great one, Jaleesa. Oh, it's my annual whinge about the Sydney ticket prices for the test match. I love the SCG. It's my favourite ground in the world, and I just think that they charge too much for the Test match. The ticket prices this year, there are five categories. E, this is for an adult, one ticket. E, $30. D, $55. C, $90. B, $135. A, $160. Now... And for A and B, they're probably the only two categories where you'd be in the shade. Well, that's my point, that people, they advertise and say, oh, tickets start from $30, and that sounds reasonable. But I would say that the $30 and 55 tickets, $55 tickets, uh, you're going to be sitting uh, in the sun and with no cover, and I've done it before, and I'd do it again if I had to, but it is brutal, if it's, even if it's mid-20s. Mm. Uh, if it's mid-30s and you're in the sun for eight hours, you better be 22 and ready to drink 15 mid-strength beers before they kick you out. Um, yeah. Because if you're just going there as a proper cricket fan, I would argue that the minimum you can really spend is the C tickets, $90. You're still sitting under no cover. If it rains, you're going to get wet. Mm. But at least you're in the Brawongal concourse. You'll get a fair degree of cover. That's okay. But as you say, Menace, the top two tiers are you're going to get some elevation, you're going to be under the cover and out of the sun. It's not as though you're going to be gifted something extraordinary. You still got to pay, you know, have the terrible food and the mid-strength beer and everything else. I just think that uh, test cricket is great, but there are dull days. If you have spent $160 to sit in a really decent seat, 320 if you throw someone else in, add $6.90 for the tickets um, transaction charge, round it up to $400 with a bit of food and drink, and you've seen a day on the recent SCG pitches, which have been pretty slow, mm. you might never come again. I just think they should lower them. Fully agree. I yep. think it's not, especially when the crowds have been a talking point about how low they have been, the audience. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> they're not necessarily. <laughs> I think that they're not really encouraging people. <laughs> it's good that Menace has been clamping down on synonyms in this show. That's right. Um, <laughs> so my can't let it go. Uh, I've got to, uh, firstly, the, the smoke at the Sydney Cricket Ground last week during the Sheffield Shield match between... Um, New South Wales and Queensland. Paul and I were there, and mm. it was a horrible day in Sydney. Awful smoke, Awful. but the the smoke at the Sydney Cricket Ground was so thick it was almost affecting the um, vision of the players. Uh, it was just a scene I've never seen before. I tweeted out a video of it that went completely viral because it was just such an eerie scene to see the the smoke descend on the Sydney Cricket Ground. And speaking of the audience, you know, if you're an audience. And um, you couldn't go and watch the cricket. If the smoke is around for the Sydney Test like that, they won't be able to play it because you cannot allow people to sit in it. And I think the, the <clears> smoke <throat> rating got at the Sydney Cricket Ground got above like 200, 230, 240. That was when it's at its worst. And once you're getting up around there, there's no way you can expect people to sit and watch. No, it's starting to affect all sports in Sydney over that period because um, that day that you're talking about I was meant to be um, on a boat for the big boat challenge for the which is the lead up charity race for the Sydney to Hobart they had to cancel that Mm. uh, for the first time ever 
in I think it's been going 25 years because they simply just could not see out on the water and if there were smaller boats it doesn't have the exclusion zone uh, like the Sydney to Hobart so if there were smaller boats out there they would have hit them it would have been absolutely catastrophic so it's starting to affect I'm wondering they they said that for the first time they're putting a contingency um, plan in for the Sydney to Hobart. Perhaps the smoke will affect it. I'm wondering if they're going to do that for the cricket. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not sure what they can do except... It's a good point. I mean, if that had been the day, if that had been January 3, it would have been an out-and-out out disaster Absolutely. for Sydney. Because it would have, like, even that day, when the videos came out, everyone's replying, why are they playing, why are they playing, why are they playing? This is for day four of a Shield game. If that had been day one of the Test match, it would have made world news and it would have been a disaster. Actually, one of my calls made the ABC News because of that. They sort of, and even commentators found it difficult because I went, and he's been caught, I think. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, that's how you commentate normally. Oh, that was my <laughs> best no smoke. That was my best bit of commentary ever. The, they took the wrong grab. That was another game. <laughs> yeah. All right, I've just got one quick can't let it go. I want to add to the smoke. Abid Ali from Pakistan became the first ever player in the history of cricket to score a century on test and one day international debut and I can't believe it's never been done before well listeners that is it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered Jaleesa thanks so much for coming back for your second appearance thank you it was fun it's been so much fun having you have a great Christmas and new year and hopefully we'll catch up in January sometime yeah for sure if at the cricket yeah or (laughs) and on the podcast and we'll be in the audience together, maybe. I'll be in the audience. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for uh, coming back. Thanks, Menace. Thanks, Jaleesa. So, thank listeners, you. we'll be back on the eve of the Boxing Day test. We never rest. And uh, we'll preview the Boxing Day test. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>